0: True confession, this morning. I have 121 books currently checked out from Prince William County Libraries. I didn't know if Deborah would be happy or, or yeah. angry. Deborah works for Prince William Library. <laughs> it's not my fault. Okay, it is my fault, but it's cute. I promise. You see. Every time Patrick and I go to the library, which is frequently, we get a bit carried away when it comes time to pick out books to check out to bring home. We'll go to the Thomas book book section and find one or 10 to take. We'll see more elephant and piggy books, Those are awesome. We'll look for the Daniel Tiger book section or new Disney books. And Patrick will always invariably find this random book that as soon as he picks it it off the shelf, I swear he's not going to like, and then will insist that I read it to him every day for four months. Every time. Apparently the kid knows what he likes. And if you do this enough times, you wind up with 121 books checked out from the library. I bet you didn't even know you could check out that many at one time. I'm told the limit is 150, so I'm getting close. (laughs) My son loves his stories. Last Christmas, my parents got him a train set for Christmas, and about May, he started really getting into Thomas the Train. And so he started playing with his train set every day. And even though none of his trains look like the Thomas the Train characters, Nevertheless, he still named each of them after one of the Thomas the Train characters. And the names don't change. He decided one day that this little ambulance was Percy, and the little ambulance has been Percy since May. That kid's weird. Lovably weird. Just like his dad. (laughs) And then sometime late summer, he started doing this amazing thing where he would, with his... Thomas But Not Thomas trains, on his Thomas But Not Thomas train set, start reenacting the stories that we were reading to him. Or reenacting the shows from the episodes that he watched. He did this all on his own. This Christmas, my wife and I got Patrick a Lion King, Lion Guard playset. Oh yes, they made a new version of the Lion King. We reboot everything these days. It has this plastic set and a bunch of pieces, Kion the lion, spelled like lion with a K. Didn't put a ton of thought into this. (laughs) And Christmas Day, he spent hours playing by himself as he reenacted scenes from The Lion Guard on his new playset. Stories are important. Developmentally, they're the first way that we can interact with our world. The first way that we can grasp concepts. They're the first way that we can make connections or learn to think with. Patrick can play as Thomas or as Percy or as Spencer and he knows enough about them to do that because he has read so many of their stories. And even as we get older, stories are the easiest way we can communicate with each other. The way that we can communicate complex, abstract ideas. When we're getting to know one another. We don't recite facts about ourselves or list off random traits. I wouldn't tell you on first meeting that I have blue eyes. It's not what we do. We tell stories. Stories about what our childhood was like. Stories about our family. Stories about our kids. We do that because we know that stories are the best way to let people into our lives. There's a movie that came out some years ago called Stories We Tell, where the director and main character attempted to go back and learn about her mother who had passed away before she could get to know her. So she interviewed her dad, and she interviewed uh, her mother's second husband, and her siblings, and her friends, And as the movie goes on, we keep getting different pictures of this woman because none of the stories line up. And by the end of the movie, the daughter and we as viewers have no better idea who her mother was than when we started. Stories are important. They are the way that we make sense of our lives, the way that we make sense of who we are. If the stories of our past don't line up, it can be hard to imagine who we will be in the future. Stories are important. It's almost as if we are hardwired for stories. It's almost as if that's the primary way that our brains function. And if that's true, then it should come as no surprise to us that God would relate to us, well, through story. And that's precisely what I think happens in scripture. The Bible is a book full of stories, but it is itself one large story. One large story of God saving us. And as we start this new year, I want us to look at the elements of that story. But first, I want to talk about why story is important. Near the end of Deuteronomy, God is giving the Israelites instructions on how they should give their offerings to God. Now I promise... This is not a giving sermon. Don't worry. It just so happens that the prayer in question was one that was meant for offering time. When the Israelites brought their gifts to God, there was a prayer that they were supposed to pray. But before I read that prayer, there's something about Deuteronomy that I need you to know. Deuteronomy presents itself as a set of rules given to the Israelites as they are about to enter the promised land. But its name betrays its real setting. Deuteronomy means second. So Deuteronomy literally means the second giving of the law. There's a story in 2 Kings of a second book of law found during King Josiah's reign, long after the Israelites had entered into the promised land, <coughs> long after King David, etc. Now, Most scholars will tell you that Deuteronomy was actually written during King Josiah's reign as a way of ushering in reforms that brought the people Israel back to faithfulness and righteousness. All that is to say is that when we read Deuteronomy, we should apply a context of late kingdom Israel, not Israel as it's about to enter the promised land, and I promise that is important. Sometimes I will bring up nerdy factoids, but it's all in the service of your real life, I promise. But here is the prayer that they were supposed to pray. It's In Deuteronomy 26, If uh, it's printed in your lifeline. It'll be up here on the screen. But if you need a Bible and want a Bible, we have them available on our welcome table, absolutely free of charge, just like God's grace. Deuteronomy 26 says, When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you, and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God, that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us, us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. So I said the context of this was late kingdom Israel, and I promised that it was important, and here's why. Joe, the late kingdom Israelite, is bringing his offering to the temple, and he is reciting this prayer. His father was not a wandering Aramean. His father was a late-kingdom Israelite. His father did not go down to Egypt. His father was someone that grew up in Jerusalem. But everyone who prays this prayer inserts themselves into a larger story, a story that begins with Abraham and a covenant God made with him that was realized in Jacob, who was named Israel. It's a story that moves to Egypt, where the people Israel were enslaved, It's a story that involves burning bushes and plagues and a reluctant leader and a Disney movie. Maybe not the last thing. It's a story that involves miraculous salvation. And it's a story that involves a people prospering and flourishing because of God's grace. There was a critically popular show on HBO last year called The Night Of. It was about a young kid accused of committing murder and what happens to him during the investigation and trial. At one point, his lawyer tells him that a murder trial is primarily a competition of two stories. He says, quote, the prosecution tells their story, and then we tell our story. I tell you that because there's another dimension about the context of this prayer and the prayer itself that are important. Late Kingdom Israel had a problem. Existentially, the problem was the Assyrians and the Babylonians who were about to come and kill them. But the prophets had been making clear for centuries that their existential problems were the result of spiritual problems. The people Israel had betrayed God in order to serve foreign gods, gods of fertility and harvest. The people Israel had traded in their god in order to worship gods who might be more effective in solving their problems. Deep down, the problem was of competing stories. On the one hand, the prophets of Baal, the foreign god, would say that Israel was experiencing a famine because the god of Israel wasn't powerful enough, wasn't effective enough. And if they wanted a successful harvest, they needed to sacrifice to Baal. On the other hand, the prophets of Israel would say that God was disciplining his children. It was a competition of two stories. How could the prophets and the leaders of Israel bring the people back to their God? By telling not necessarily a new story, but the whole story. So against the story that says the God of Israel is powerless, that the God of Israel has done nothing for you that the God of Israel is deaf to your pleas, that the God of Israel won't save you and Baal will save you, this prayer tells a new story. This prayer tells the story of a God who cares, of a God who is there, of a God who listens and acts, of a God who is all-powerful, more powerful than the great Egyptian empire, a God that has defeated empires in the past and stands ready to do so again. And this prayer puts the petitioner right in the middle of that story. Makes them claim that story. Makes them make that great salvation her own story. Our lives are a competition of stories as well. There's a story that the world tells us. A story that says we're no good. A story that says we have to earn love. A story that says that things and possessions will cure all our faults, fill all the holes in our life, and make us feel better. A story that says we need to scratch and claw for what little we can get, and we'd better keep that for ourselves. A story that says our failures own us. Our regrets are the only thing that are eternal, and you can never escape your past. A story that says that death is the final and ultimate power over all of us. A story that says that God is dead. There is no higher power to rescue us. And morality is relative and pragmatic. A story that says we must constantly live in fear. We must be concerned about people who are different from us. And it is okay to hate. A story that says it's hurt or be hurt, kill or be killed. A story that says there is no hope and we are fools to have faith. Now it wouldn't be fair to say that this story is told in any place that isn't the church. It's not even fair to say that this story is told the majority of the time. But it is a story that I have heard much of my life, in many parts of my life. There were parts of my life where I felt like love was primarily conditional. There were parts of my life where being generous and charitable felt anathema to success. There were parts of my life where it seemed like the ultimate purpose was to be successful and to be wealthy. Some of these things I still struggle with. There's a story that the world has told you. Maybe it's the same as mine. Maybe it's slightly different. Maybe you picked up on different elements of that story. And some of that story still affects you on this day and in this place. Let us all hear good news. God tells us a different story. God tells us a story of unconditional love. God tells us a story of grace. God tells us a story of hope. God tells us a story that fundamentally changes how we live in the world, how we love, and what we think is important. God tells us a different story. And I want us to spend the next two months Hearing that story. In the Bible, God is telling us a huge story, a grand story, a story of love and reconciliation and salvation. And in telling that story, God wants to reauthor our stories. God wants to change our narratives. God wants to give us a reason to hope so that we can be a people of hope. God wants to tell us we are loved so that we can be a people who love. God wants to tell us that we can live with him forever so that we can have faith in the midst of death and sorrow. God wants to tell us he is with us so we can know that we are not alone in this life. God is telling us a story so that he can reauthor ours. God is telling us a story so that he can be the author of ours. And here is the story. Conveniently for us, It's a series of seven C's. The first is creation. We are created. And we're going to talk about what it means for us to be created. Because we are created out of love for love. The second is crisis. The dramatic movement in this story is a result of human failure. We have sinned. And what does that mean for us to be a people in need of redemption? The third C is covenant. God makes covenants with us. What does that mean for us to be a people with whom God engages in relationship? The fourth C should have numbered these. The fourth C is Christ. What does it mean that God would come in Jesus Christ and would give us his son? The fifth C is church. God chooses to announce the redemption of the world through the church. What was God thinking? We're going to talk about what it means to be people entrusted with that responsibility. The sixth is calling. God continues to call and raise up faithful apostles. As a member of God's church, what is God calling you to do? And the last is consummation. The ending is secured. What does that mean for us who live in the middle of the story, as people who already know what the ending will be? This is the story. This is the grand story. This is the epic story. This is the love story that God is telling each of us in Scripture. It's truly an epic love story that God is writing on the pages of the Bible. And wants to write on each of our hearts. It's the story that God wants to use in order to author each of our stories so that we can be a living story to the world. Our lives are a competition of two stories. First, the world tells theirs, then God tells us his. Will you listen, hear, and receive the story that God is writing in Scripture and wants to write on your heart? Will you let God reauthor your story? Will you let God be the author of your life? Let us pray.